Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. So glad that you are here. Thanks for uh, celebrating Betsy's story with us. Really cool story. She's an awesome chick. So um, super cool to be a part of that this morning. Uh, we are also, if this is your first time, my name is Brennan, teaching pastor here. And uh, we are in part four of a series called, part four of four of a series called Flipping Tables, series on social justice, and uh, which means you're coming in, if, if you haven't been here before, uh, towards an end of a movie kind of thing. Like, you know, there's going to be some things that we kind of jump to conclusions on or versus passages we've already talked about. And uh, if you want to, you can go to eastlaketricities.com uh, slash talks. If you go to that site, you can look at and watch the first three of this. In fact, this week, we finally bit the bullet and actually provided a direct link on our, our website. Previously, for like, we've been doing this for seven years. Um, we had not put our talks on the website. Um, you would have to like, we wanted to make it something for home team members. You'd actually have to type in slash talks. And uh, for seven years, I got emails from people. What was the website again? Like, I'm trying to find them and I can't find them. Uh, and so now they're on there. If, if you will look hard enough, they will be on there at some point, some slider, somewhere, some button. Uh, and you can always uh, catch up on there or follow along if you have to miss in future weeks. Uh, or we have iTunes podcast stuff too. So lots of different options, but it's been a series focusing on the idea of social justice. Um, and the reason for the flipping tables topic is because Jesus had this uh, experience in uh, the New Testament, some of the stories about the life and teachings of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he goes into the temple, the religious place of the, uh, the Jewish people at that time, and uh, sees kind of an injustice taking place within the sacrificial systems. And to know what that injustice is, you'd have to listen to week one. But he begins flipping tables because he's so angry. He has this like righteous anger. Uh, and his anger is not characterized by like um, sin. It's even talked about later on as he did this out of a righteous anger. And we like to think of ourselves as having the ability to do and operate with righteous anger. Um, but a lot of times we're just righteously angry about things. And so we operate angrily and then we try to justify it as righteous, but it's not really righteous. His anger was motivated because he saw injustice taking place and, and could do something about it. Uh, another time he um, goes into the temple and this is before he's like, you know, super popular or whatever asks for a scroll to be read, and it's the, uh, the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads this quote that has to do with all kinds of things that we would equate with social justice. So freedom for the captives, um, uh, uh, care for the poor, uh, all of these different lines, and then which is for them associated with some sort of a messianic figure. They called it a messianic prophecy. Uh, like someday God is going to send us a hero, and uh, um, we're holding out for a hero, um, the song, anyways. Uh, and uh, then he stands up and he goes, this today has been fulfilled in your presence. And then he sits down and all the jaws drop because they all know exactly what he's claiming he is in that moment. Um, so um, there are, and, and every time he does this, and when he says those things and he takes those actions, he, he, he kind of like refers back to some Old Testament thing. Like he, he quotes from Isaiah or this, this idea of injustice. He is informed by something that took place in the Old Testament. So we, we said, what, I think it would be worth our time to look at maybe one specifically passage of social justice in the Old Testament that would have informed Jesus's actions. Uh, and it's better time spent than me and you talking about current activities of social injustice because those things are ever-changing, right? What, what is a, a social injustice in our current arena of politics uh, two years from now is going to be backwatered like issues. It's not going to be that. It's going to be something else. It's going to be something else. It's going to be something else. So instead of addressing a specific issue, what if we got a grip or a mentality on the things that inform Jesus' attitudes and perhaps that can then, uh, as culture kind of reveals itself, help us to be 
proponents of justice, no matter what the context is. Uh, and so we've been specifically looking at one of the more famous passages of injustice in the book of Amos, Amos chapter 5. There's a passage I read to you at the very beginning of the week, and at the beginning of the series, and I said, here's what we're going to do. We are going to look at all of the verses leading up to this through an, uh, an exegetical exercise, which basically means go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through this, so that we are fully informed when we get to this verse what it means and, what, and how we go forth with this. And so uh, that's what we've been doing. We've gone through chapters 1 and 2 the first week, or the second week, excuse me. Um, Margaret set the stage the first week. Chapters 1 and 2 the first, second week. Chapter 3 last week. Today, you would think we would be on chapter 4, uh, but I, I'm skipping chapter 4. So... We're saving a bunch of time. It's a great chapter, but read it on your own time. We're going to go to chapter 5. We're going to dive in here um, and finish up with uh, the whole phrase about when justice flowing like a river, which is the image that we get. So just to, to remind you of why he's talking, okay? To remind you of the context for Amos, Amos is a, a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. As Israel, the Jewish people, come out of slavery into Egypt, they settle into the promised land. They've got... Uh, 12 tribes, 12 brothers trying to kind of make sense of their new surroundings. Uh, as happens oftentimes with families, there's some infighting uh, and there's some ideas of um, we need to draw a line in the car and you cannot cross this line and you cannot cross this line. Mom, dad, look at what they're doing. They drew a line and separated it into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the, and the southern kingdom, 10 tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. The southern kingdom actually is more famous for us. It's for where Jerusalem's at, who where David's from, that kind of thing. But in this context, the northern kingdom was actually, in that time, the more successful. It had more people to start off with, uh, and they began to expand, expand, expand. And as they expanded, and as they got wealthier and wealthier, uh, their attitudes towards wealth and their attitude towards the poor in their midst did not grow with them. They came out of financial poverty uh, and slavery, and they got into it. And as soon as they got money, they, like humankind... Uh, oftentimes we'll do, once we get power, we will do anything and everything within our power not to lose that newly inherited power, even if it means putting other people into the same systems of injustice that we just got ourselves out of. And so that's what Amos is going, hey, 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 you're supposed to be the people of God. This is supposed to be different. The way that you live, God has called you to live differently so that the people of the world will see this new system and be like, I don't know who God it is that they worship, but I want a piece of that. I want to worship that God. And perhaps then you will be a voice and a light on a hill and, and a voice in the darkness and all these kinds of stuff. And they're not doing it right. And so Amos feels obligated to come leave his professional duties, um, which has an economic background, and speak to the specifically economic injustice taking place in the northern kingdom of Israel. So that, that is essentially the, the layout, the backdrop, and uh, in, in basically the, in chapters one through three, we talked about how he keeps talking about a day of reckoning is on its way. Like, you keep thinking that you can operate in this way and not suffer any consequences. Um, you, it's so easy to point out the, the, the flaws in other people, but you're not even recognizing your flaws, and a day is coming when there will be a reckoning of accounts, Right? Or the way that we put it, would put it, um, the boss is coming back from vacation, and all this crap that you're doing, you're not going to get away with it any longer. When mom and dad come home, boy, you are in for it, right? That's what he's doing. That's chapters one through three. I just saved you three weeks <laughs> of church. So anyways, uh, that's the context. All right, so we're going to dive into uh, verse one of chapter five. Hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. So he's given us a clue here. He's about to enter into a lament, which is a term that we probably, you've probably heard of before. And if I ask you to define it, 
you could probably get there in roundabout ways. It would not be a clean definition, but it's one of those things you know it when you see it. I know what a lament is. They were far more popular, by the way, in the Old Testament. There are laments all over the place. In fact, there's an entire book dedicated to laments. They're called, it's called Lamentations. Um, and in this, but here's, here's how you know when you've seen it. If you've ever had to mourn the imminent passing of a family member while at a hospital, you're in there and it's very clear it's a matter of days, if not hours, and you have these last few parting words with them, that's sort of you're lamenting the suffering that's sure to happen, right? Um, if you've ever had to deliver the eulogy at a funeral, and the funeral was one of those funerals where the person who died passed away too young or it was unexpected, it wasn't a, she was 94, this is a celebration of life, she's in a much better place, yada, yada. This is a, I'm still trying to kind of, this is part of the grieving process, is me voicing it for not just myself, but for all of us here as we cry out, like, why, why, why did this happen sort of thing. Or if you remember watching Super Bowl 49 and you're a Seahawks fan and you go, <laughs> we passed on the one with Marshawn Lynch, why, oh why? You have lamented in that way before. So we know, we Seahawks fans, we know what it means to lament. We get it. In the Old Testament, in, the old, uh, in, in this context of the people in which the original audience would have read these sorts of laments, there would be things that would go on with laments. There would be, there would be things that would be taking place where you would know what I'm about to read is a lament or what I'm about to experience is a lament. In their mourning and grieving process, many times they would shave their heads, they would dress in sackcloths, they would lie down in ashes, they would weep loudly, audibly in, in cases. In some cases, they would hire professional mourners to go on their way through the city. I had a, we had a daughter die and, and we wanna make sure everybody's a part of this. This is a, a community scenario. I'm hiring people to cry through and say, why, why, Bethany, all this kind of stuff. Uh, th that was a big, that, this is a big deal for them. They would know in that sense. See, for us, our modern day, when we would read that, when we read weird stories about like Old Testament prophets who would, who would you know, rip their clothes, dress in sackcloth, lie in ashes, we'd be like, get a hold of yourself. Like you're, you're letting yourself go, right? This is, this is extreme. We, we don't truly understand what's taking place with all of this. We think, oh, we're so much more developed. We're so much, more, we're so much better at this. And then the question becomes, really, are we? Are we better at grieving with all of this? So this is Amos setting up the stage so that we would, his, his audience would know the emotions that are appropriate for the moment. I'm gonna write some things. I wanna make sure your audience is appropriate for the moment. Let me issue a lament to you, all right? I tried to think of how do I make it so that the passage that we read rings emotionally true for you as well. And so I put together a little soundtrack for at least the first verse as we go on here. Go ahead and play it. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with nobody to lift her up. Like taps on the back. As soon as you hear this, you're like, oh, taps, that, okay. That, I know, like, the scenario. You can cut it now. We're good. Um, I know that this is supposed to be a funeral. I know that there's, like, immediately as I hear that, 
Like I'm taken back to a place, like maybe your grandpa was a, a military veteran at his funeral this was played, or great-grandfather, or, or, or uh, something along those lines. And, and you're like, okay, you don't have to tell me about it anymore. Like I get it. That's what he's saying here. Amos starts with this. I give you a lament. Fallen virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no deliverer. Now, the key that you need to remember, this is what we've talked about beforehand. Amos is delivering this message, either orally or verbally or writing it down or whatever, while Israel is still successful, while they are still alive, he's delivering the eulogy or the obituary, and they're still there. They're like, what are you talking about? He's going fall in his virgin Israel. They're like, our GDP is increasing. Success around us, our boundaries are expanding. We are not in danger of losing anything. We've heard, you've heard people, you know, proclaim the downfall of America, depending on who gets voted in and voted out as president or whatever. And it's always like, oh, that's it. This is the end of America. And you just laugh and you be like, Whatever, dude, you're going to vote again in four years, right? We, 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 don't, we, we don't think of it in those terms. That's what that sort of reaction that you have towards the extremists, both on the right and the left, by the way, of the demise of America is the same attitude that these people would have based on, again, that we looked at in chapter three, them looking around going, we are successful and economically, and we have, these, these, we have this sacrificial system. We still do the whole church thing. We're still into God. It, like, I don't know why you would think we are failing. What, what is your indicators that we're not doing right? Because according to all of our indicators, things are great. And yet, in spite of this, he issues this lament. In Amos' mind, this is designed to be a wake-up call. This is designed to be uh, like his words about somebody who has recently passed, which is like that cliche movie that you've always watched. That, you know, it started with like It's a Wonderful Life where um, you, you think he's dead or, or something takes place. And you get to hear what people think of you after they're dead. And that supposedly changes you and changes the way that you live. That's what's taking place in this scenario. All right. Um, verse 3 and on, uh, all the way through verse 17 Instead of reading these specifically to you, I want to show you um, something that's taking place in this structure of this whole thing, okay? The author here, either Amos or somebody who wrote things down for Amos, decides to use what's called a chiastic structure, C-H-I-A-S-T-I-C, chiastic, and and it happens, once you see it, you'll see it in various places in the Old Testament. It is a common Hebrew word slash language device, which doesn't sound all that important to you. I understand it. I'm gonna show it to you. I'm not gonna read the verses, but I'll show you what I'm talking about and then explain the importance of it, and I promise there's a purpose to it, all right? So uh, here, here's the idea. A, go ahead and go to that slide with the A. A is the lament the death of a nation. B, call to seek God and live, accusations of no justice. In the middle, right smack dab in the middle, is a hymn to Yahweh, which is Israel's term for their own God. And then it goes backwards, and it works itself out. So it basically works up to it, and then it works itself out to it. And the point of it is to try and say, like, once you see it, you know what's the most important part? He's building up to this central, this central piece, the central hymn to Yahweh. He's pointing out, all of the things that they've, um, they've done wrong, uh, or sorry, excuse me, let's start with this. Their future, the consequences of their actions, a call, a pleading with them to change their ways, examples of their injustice, and then it comes to the central part. If you think that you're exempt from this, or if you think that you, you're living in such a way where God is not central to your actions, and you don't, you don't foresee it as any consequences. You live without fear, proper fear of the Lord. Not like, I'm so scared of what he's gonna do, but actual awe and reverence out of him. And so therefore, it's not central. It doesn't drive, it doesn't inform your actions. 
And let me remind you of the significance of Yahweh. So then we're going to read actual, we're going to read verses eight through nine, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out of the face of the land. The Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. This is a way of saying, all right, you've done all of these things. I'm, I'm, there's sorrow, there's confusion. Why are you doing this? There's consequences that are gonna take place. Um, uh, I'm pleading with you to change your ways, even though I don't know that this will actually remove uh, the, the vengeance or the, the consequences. But, but listen, if you think you're in the clear, let me remind you who God is. This is the God that when you look up in the night sky and see the constellations, he put them there. When you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning and the sun has risen, he's the God who is over all of nature. He's sovereign over not just this world, but the entire universe. Look at the sky at night. He's sovereign over nature. And with a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold, brings the fortified city to ruin. He's reaching back into just a few verses ago where he's he's talking about the, the economic growth and the fortified homes and your security is found in your stuff and the walls you protect yourself with. He's bigger than those things. This is the centrality of the significance and the sovereignty of Israel's God, Yahweh. You cannot escape this in case you think, well, we don't really need him anymore. That was kind of a crutch that we used to get out and get on our own feet, and now we're just doing fine. Uh, This is one more attempt to highlight the importance and the understanding that their relationship with God should be central, not periphery, for them. He works up to this, then he works away from this, and the chiastic structure the, the medium is in, uh, the, the message is in the medium, what he's trying to portray with all of this. So that's the full-fledged lament. The lament ends in verse 17. Now, we're going to read a little bit further, but I want to kind of come back to things about laments, things you need to know about it. Something unique about laments in the process of persuasion, the lament is a powerful alternative to accusation and condemnation. A lament expresses an attitude of identification and sympathy rather than opposition and conflict. If you're taking notes, this is a good thing to write down because here's the picture of what we see. Him issuing this lament, and in this lament, he's talking about consequences, and he's, he's really going through, he's trying to identify for people, can you see your actions have led to this? I'm so confused, and I'm so sorrowful, and I'm, I'm not... I'm not accusing you of something, and I'm not condemning you for it. And when I point this out to you, it's not out of a celebratory tone. If I could kind of channel my own Shakespearean type of language here, it's not like he's saying something bad this way comes, and I cannot wait to watch it, right? Like we've, we've seen that. We've watched friends and family choose self-destructive lifestyle decisions, and Maybe at some point, like, you're not that close with them, and so you're like, you say watch out, but you're kind of like, I can't wait for the fireworks. And we know that that's like a dark side of us, and we would never want to leak that out, and we're ashamed of that sort of mentality. And that's not what laments are. Laments are not, you should have known better. Can't believe you did this. You brought this on yourself. Shame, shame on you. Accusatory condemnation. This is, I want to sit with you, and I care about you too much not to try and help connect the dots for you on what you're doing to destroy your life. 
Jesus has a lament. He issues a pretty famous lament in Matthew chapter 23. This is towards the end of Matthew's account of Jesus. And he sits on a mountaintop overlooking Jerusalem. He's just been welcomed into the city. Uh, and people with palm fronds, Palm Sunday, singing Hosanna in the highest, um, you know, potentially here comes our Savior. He knows that they're about to turn on him. He's about to be arrested. He knows his future is not bright. They're, they are going to reject the Savior of the world um, because they just don't know what they're doing. And so here's his lament as he weeps and wails over Jerusalem. Very visual, very tangible, and obviously includes his disciples in this or allows some of them to see this, which is why Matthew decided to write it down. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? It kind of feels accusatory or uh, condemning maybe, but he's, I, I really do feel like when you read it and you, when, you, when you see it, he's genuinely, he's doing it out of a place of sadness and he's not celebrating their destruction. He's genuinely empathetic and he's genuinely sympathetic with them. I'm watching you destroy your own life. And I'm so broken by it. Why? Why are you doing this? Laments are not a sign of weakness or compromise or softening belief in justice. They're personal expressions of real sorrow and confusion regarding suffering. Laments are not, I see it, I'm so sad, I want to forgive you and welcome you back in with no consequences and just give you another chance. It's not what laments is. Laments are, the reality is there's no second chance here. The reality is I can't make your decisions for you. All I can do is sit here and watch. And uh, so I'm thinking about this stuff. And this week I watch a movie trailer for a movie that's coming out like in a month, next month sometime. And it struck me so much as what I'm talking about that Though I never, I rarely ever show movie clips as a part of teaching because I feel like it's cheating a little bit um, because it like gets you to a place emotionally I should be able to get there to you, you know, with words or whatever. Um, and I don't need Hollywood, I shouldn't like defer to Hollywood to make it happen for me. But this one was so good. I just want you to watch this real quick. Check it out. When I tried it, I felt better than I ever had. So I just kept on doing it. I don't know. I thought we were closer than most fathers and sons. <laughs> this isn't us. Stop. This is not who we are. Both of you, stop. There are moments that I look at him and I wonder who he is. How's our boy, David? I'm not giving up now. Never. You always gotta be controlling everything. It doesn't make any sense. You're controlling me right now. It's you. Let us help you. I don't want you to help. Don't you understand that? I had such grand plans. He'd graduate from college, do something amazing. And now I just want him to not die. Who are you, Nick? This is me, Dad. Here, this is who I am. If you could take all the words in the language, it still wouldn't describe how much I love you. I love you more than everything. I'm really sorry, Dad. It's hard as hell to get sober. But I love my family. 
I want them to be proud of me. I understand how scared you are. It'll pass, though. It always does. Nick, what do you have? It's extraordinary. And you're gonna get it back. You're gonna find it again. So yeah, it's a movie I've never seen. Uh, and uh, it's not a, uh, it's not even out yet, I don't think. I, and you can even go watch it if you wanted to, unless like you like do bad stuff on the internet and they might have it out there, I don't know. But um, I don't even know what this thing is rated. I have no idea. It could be rated, like, not rated. One of those ones, and I just sold you to go to a movie that's, like, where maybe Steve Carell's character, like, strips or something like that, and you're like, I, Brent, I can't believe you told us about this movie. I have no idea. All I know is that feels like a lament to me, right? That feels like him as a parent, and I, listen, I've, I, I, you, you, I, I, I've never been in that situation where, obviously, my, my kids are 10, 5, and whatever, 10 months old. Um, they're not really drug dealers at this point. Whatever they are. Whatever they are. Who knows what they are. As far as I know, they're not drug dealers or, or in that mix, but I can't even imagine. Now, maybe, maybe some of you can because you are parents of, of, of watching their, your kid, like, make some really dumb decisions, and, and now they're 18, 19, and they don't have to do what you have to say anymore, and you can withdraw support, and you can do all this kind of stuff, but like the dance of, do I just let this kind of stuff go? And there's a book that's, this is based on that I'm reading through. I'm trying to like understand. I'm trying to get around this emotionally. Can you imagine, imagine watching this kid that you've invested so much of your life into throw all of this away, and all of you're doing, this is gonna be a two-hour lament, by the way. Why? Why? What are you doing? Like, can't you see? There's so much sorrow, there's so much sadness, and there's so much confusion. And there are consequences that are going to be coming as a result of this. And just so you know, like, I didn't send them your way. You chose this. Maybe you're going to feel like I'm the one that did this. And because you refused to bail me out of this or do this or whatever, that, that you were the cause of this. But that, you're just, that's not real, but I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to help you save yourself from this. And I want you to see that the decisions that you're making, the things that are making sense to you don't really truly make sense. And it's broken. And there's gonna be consequences to these actions. And maybe, maybe it's not a maybe it's not a like an addicted kid or whatever, but maybe for you it was a divorce. Maybe a divorce where one, one party, one part of the thing, either him or her or whatever, are making these decisions because it's convenient for them now or whatever. And this, there's another person involved. There's something going on. And it's really hard because you're sitting there and you're going, can't you see that this is the, the consequence of, of this? I have so many questions. I'm so sad. I'm so confused can you not see the consequences that this is going to have on our kids, if there are kids involved, where from now on, Christmas is over here with them, and Thanksgiving's over here with us, and, and I'm, I'm so broken, and I need time to lament this, and I'm not saying 
that this is a matter of I'm gonna just gonna suck it up and we're gonna you know, make this thing work or there's not gonna be any consequence or now that this thing isn't broken, but I just wanna be able to talk and voice my frustration and voice my pain that what you have come across in, in your worldview of thinking is okay, is genuinely not okay. And I don't want it back and this is, we'll, we'll make this thing work. No, 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 this is broken now. But I just, I care about you too much to allow you to continue to see that this is okay, that there's nothing wrong with this. This is what Amos is saying here. This is his frustration with all of this. You need to see, this is a lament because things are broken and you don't think that they are. And that's, that's a bad spot to be in, man. That's a bummer of a place. So this is all leading up to the, all three weeks of this, or four weeks if you include today's talk, leads up to this passage. This is a big payoff right here, all right? So if I've lost you at some point or you're like, we should go see that movie, right? Maybe Brent gets a dollar for everybody that goes to this movie. That was his why he showed it. I don't. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, verse 21. I, he's gonna use the pronoun I here, but it's really God speaking through Amos. It's not Amos hating this. He's the mouthpiece of God for the people, right? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I wrote down a little commentary, Brent's translation of this verse. Your church services are a joke. Your tithes, your gifts, your offerings, whatever, they don't count towards anything if your life doesn't match up to your feelings of temporary generosity. Your above and beyond offerings mean nothing to me. Stop singing me songs and being an a-hole to your kids. Justice among individuals should have been a hallmark distinguishing Israel from her neighbors, a distinguishing factor and I just don't see that taking place. I just don't see it. Justice should flow continually like a year-around river, not like an undependable creek that has water in it only when it rains. Justice should not be something that only shows up when it's convenient. It should be a part of it all the time. That should be what you are known for. So let justice Roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. There's no doubt in my mind that that verse, that that passion, that emotion involved in that lament and that charge for justice would have been in Jesus' mind. It would have been a formative phrase that he would have memorized as a kid and his audience, by the way, too, as he attempts to address the injustices going on. That would inform his actions. It would probably resonate, it would inspire, and it would inform all of the things that he would do in a future, in a world where his reach could include addressing some of the injustices taking place in the world. That verse, if it sounds familiar to you, perhaps it's because it shows up on the footsteps of the Lincoln Memorial a few thousand years later. Let me read you this. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? When is enough enough? 
We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to the larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and the Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied. And we will not be satisfied until, until, until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. You see, Martin Luther King did not just pull this verse out of random scripture because it feels like it fits well in that thing. He issued it with a full awareness of the context, knowing it comes post-lament. It is informed by lament. And what is a lament, if nothing but identification and sympathy? It's a way of saying, I have in deep, real sorrow and real confusion about real suffering. He pulls this phrase and he utilizes this in such a way as to say, listen, things are broken. Can't you see you've accepted as like common things? You're okay with things happening, which in principle you probably wouldn't be. We all have, we, but what we do is we come up with plausible structures of opinion as to why it makes sense for us in this way. And Martin Luther King, in the same way that Jesus would leverage Old Testament thought to be like, you listen, be careful, be careful what you've accepted as normal and as okay. Because if there are just injustices that are leaking in, do not think that you will be exempt from the consequences of a world characterized in that way. So, a few weeks ago, I said I was going to do a series on social justice. And I said, if you are expecting me to speak to current events of social injustice in our area or in our world or whatever, you will probably be disappointed because I didn't bring up whatever's happening on Twitter today, all right? Um, because that's all temporary. A year from now, that stuff changes. It's something different a year from now. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be active in speaking about that, but it would be far more worth our time to work backwards and say there are things which inform Jesus. There are things which informed followers of Jesus to leverage in speaking out against injustice. And one of those is a vision and a picture of a world where justice flows like a never-ending river, where it doesn't come when it's convenient, but it comes as a result of a people who look at their responsibility as being a light in the darkness, a city on a hill, a nation, a people committed to the definition of justice as given to us by God, not through what we feel like works in this way. A nation who is awake, awake to some of the things that we may have commonly accepted as just how the world works listening to the voices of the oppressed and hopefully doing our part to address in our reach what we can to be a type of people who chooses 
to love deeply, to walk humbly, and to have mercy for those around us. At this time, we're going to receive communion to close out this series. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We do this at the conclusion of every series. Uh, For us, it's a way of reminding ourselves uh, that no matter what we talk about, it all comes down to the reason that this works is because it's spoken of through the authority of a guy named Jesus who said, this is how you should live. Uh, And if we're like inconclusive on that authority, then this could just be an opinion-based thing, right? But when we celebrate communion, we remind ourselves of the great sacrifice that was made through his death on a cross for our benefit. And so we join with churches across the globe and throughout history uh, and remind ourselves of that sacrifice and that statement of love for us. So practically speaking, how it looks at for us is we have two stations on the side with uh, bread and wine, one station in the middle with gluten-free bread and juice, um, so pick your spot, however your, uh, your preference is on that. Uh, the band's going to lead us in one last song, really a time for reflection. Uh, if you don't want to participate in community, you're not obviously obligated to do that at all. Uh, feel free to just stay in your seat and uh, think about the words of the song or think about um, some of the stuff that we talked about today. And, uh, and then I'll come up with after the song and do a formal dismissal. Would you stand? I'm going to pray for us real quick. Father, may we... Be the type of people who are very aware of our role, our responsibilities, uh, whether we find ourselves on the oppressed side or the oppressive side. I pray that we would strive to be people who uh, administer justice and and do it out of uh, a sense of love and response to you, who live out of a fear uh, of... uh, of taking advantage of somebody that you love. But we don't want to do that. Wake us up. Wake us up to the reality of what that looks like in our life. Give us the wisdom to know what it looks like for us. And the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.